Welcome to Strength in the Numbers. My name is Wei Chen Yong, a global finance leader that champions environmental sustainability and gender equality. It is my ambition to bring business and social movement leaders to the show, deconstruct with them their stories, lessons learned, into practical advice for us to remain relevant in accounting and finance while making a positive impact to the society. With that, let's go over to the show. Um, hello, everyone. I'm very excited to have Anders on our show today. Anders is not new to the strength of In The Number shows. He's a great supporter and advocate for our show and has been on two of the shows in the past as well. Now, Anders is a prominent corporate influencer and thought leader on evolving roles of the FPNA and effective finance business partnering. It is a privilege for me to have him back today to help us deconstruct the role of FPNA through the lens of a book that was published last year by the McKinsey, The Strategy Beyond the Hockey Stick. Now, the book provides practical advice on how to change the dynamics in a business strategy room. Therefore, for company to make the right strategic choices and optimize profit. So you may be wondering, what roles can we play in that strategy room? So wondering no more, here is Anders with us today. Hello, Anders. Welcome back to the show. Hey, hey, thanks a lot for, uh, for bringing me back for a third run here. I mean, it's always great to, uh, to be on uh, Strength in the Numbers and uh, have, a, have a talk with you guys. I mean, you're doing some, uh, some, some great work, so happy to, to contribute to that. Thank you, Anders. Always a pleasure to have you back. Now, first of all, maybe share with our audience what have you been busy in the last six to 12 months? Activities, workshop that you've been working on to help the profession becoming better finance business partner? Yeah, that, that's a question you could probably use the whole show for, but uh, I'll, try to, I'll try to keep it uh, somewhat brief. If you look at myself, actually I started a new role here first January, so that's of course a bit more than eight months ago now. So, but that was a new business partner role because I've been writing and talking so much about it. You know, people are saying, okay, you know, can't you show us again how to how to do it so uh, so a bit of a chip off on my shoulder but of course uh, I just went into, went into that role and and have uh, you know been trying out whatever I've been developing on and talking about since uh, since I last was in the business partner role and you know the great thing about it is that it all worked right so you can basically write a manual follow that manual and as long as you you behave nicely, so to speak, then it works. So business partnering uh, is, is something that's very close to my heart and something I'm trying to help uh, a lot of other finance professionals become better at as well. You know, it's really important for me to show this year that, that it can work and it's not uh, it's not rocket science, but it it. it it can be hard to do if you are if you're new to it. You're not really clear about what it is and how to do it. So that was definitely number one for me. Then, yeah, so, so as part of that, I've also been, been around the company at first to train other people to become better business partners. So I've trained 100 people during the first half of the year, and I'll train more than another hundred in the second part of the year and also hopefully be in uh, Singapore to check up on you. That, that will be wonderful to see you in Singapore. Now, coming to the book. Strategy Beyond the Hockey Stick from McKinsey. So just share with our audience a little bit, how do you chance upon the book? And maybe also give us a bit of a summary of the book and what are the learnings and opportunity that you see for our FP&A professional? Right. So uh, as part of uh, my side uh, business, the Business Partner Institute, we've established a business partner roundtable with companies, of course, uh, centered around Denmark uh, for, for now that are doing well in business partnering and are trying to, to become even better. So, so we, meet, uh, we meet four times a year. We're actually meeting next week again 
that talk about data to insights. Uh, but we met back in the, the spring and we talked about work and how to create the time for work that matters. And then we talked about the strategy and value creation. And as part of that, we had stumbled upon this book, uh, Strategy Beyond the Hockey Stick, and was trying to get some uh, someone from McKinsey to come out and uh, talk to us about this. And then, of course, uh, having some senior people in this, uh, this roundtable, they just wrote to McKinsey and uh, you know they used their their influence and pool and suddenly McKinsey just sent one of the authors of the, of the book. So we had the senior partner of McKinsey, Sven Smith, uh, fly in from uh, I think it's uh, Switzerland and uh, and come come talk to us about the book. Uh, so that was a, that was a really really great uh, event and really interesting to hear from him about the latest research from McKinsey into to strategy, what makes up successful strategies, and and what can companies do to actually become become better at, at strategy. Uh, that was a really, uh, really good event, and of course, then we, we also got the book afterwards. If I should try to to summarize a bit the book, then of course, first it talks about you know strategy in a historical context. Are we failing? Are we winning? Of course, it gives all the classic examples of companies that that missed the train. You know, Kodak, Nokia, whatever they're all called, uh, got disrupted, and now they are no more. They have changed completely into something else. Uh, but then it really goes into into the research and look at okay, so if you look at all companies. What companies create value and what are just, you know, not really adding too much to the pot. And it turns out that 20% of the companies uh, they had in their research, I think they had like 1,600 companies, something like that. They create 80% of the value, right? So being in the, in the top quintile is, is, is massive, right? If you can be among the top 20%, then your value creation is just so much more than the rest. The middle 60%, they, you know, do create some sort of value, but it's, it's not something to be so proud of. Bottom 20%, they, of course, destroy a lot of value. So having that research in hand, of course, then they take a closer look at what is it that these top 20% companies are doing. And, and what they found is that they found that there were like 10 predictors of whether uh, you have a good good strategy or not. Some of it relates to what have you done in the past? You know, are you a big company already? Size matters. Have you done a lot of R&D, for instance, so that you've invested in your future? Those kind of things. Then, of course, it also looks at the external environment, right? Are you in an industry that is upwards going or downwards going? So let's say when you're in, in let's say, in oil and gas and the oil price is $100 and above, everything is great. I've tried it myself. Uh, happy days, high fives all around. Suddenly, the oil price plummets to $30 and everyone gets sacked. It's bad days, right? So sometimes you're, you're dependent on the industry trend being in your favor. And of course, there can be other macro trends that, uh, that will play to your advantage or completely destroy you depending on how you are doing. And then it really looks at, okay, so... What, what kind of plays can you then make to increase your chance of success? Because, you know, history, it's already done. You can't really change history, but you can bring it into the future. Trends overall level, you know, you can, of course, try to move into a positive trend. Uh, but again, it's something externally. But then there are also internal moves that you can do to try and increase sales, to try and uh, cut down the cost and so forth. You know, some of the more classic moves, but with the important realization that all your competitors are trying to do the same. So you have to do it a lot more than what they are doing. So simply doing, let's say a 5% incremental, it doesn't move the needle because your competitors are doing the same. So you really have to make what they call big moves to actually improve your chance of strategic success. All right. So they have these 10 10 predictors, but because whenever, you know, they're in the, the strategy room and, you know, the, the senior management team have to decide what, what should be the strategy, it always goes wrong, right? Because no one wants to give up resources, even though they have a poor business unit. So they don't want to give up resources. Everyone tries to sell what they're doing as the, the next best thing, as a, uh, the greatest thing since sliced bread or whatever. So, so you know, it's, it's really a the social dynamic in the strategy room is just not 
it's just not helping the process. Right? So that, that's really the conversation that needs to be that needs to be changed. So in the latter part of the book, we then move on to, to provide uh, eight, eight pieces of advice for, for companies to do to change the strategy process, to change the conversation in the, in the strategy room. And that's sort of when, when I was like, when, when, uh, when, when Sven Smith put that on screen, I was like, okay, that has finance or FP&A written all over it. So that, that I have to explore further. So that's, that's sort of the starting point for, for everything really. Wow. It is great to hear the story, the context, and how you actually connect the dots and kind of bring it back to, you know, what can we help as a FP&A professional. And understand that, you know, based on the recommendation in the book, the eight pieces of advice in the book, you have also published a series of articles on LinkedIn on specific action steps and changes that FPNA professional can make in order to address and fix the broken strategy process. So the X steps outline, you know, articles are very relevant for all of us in terms of value creation. So I definitely wanted to take this opportunity to kind of go into some of the suggestion of yours and it will be very helpful for you to give our audience further examples and for our audience to hear from you directly as well. First is around the annual business planning process and we understand a lot of the businesses are currently on a static once a year budget field so the question is how can business adopt a more dynamic dynamic process that we kind of look backward and forward in times enough to identify where um, whether the company is on the hockey stick curve so coming to fpna so how can an fpna person be the change agent that drives and change the current planning process Maybe just take one step back to begin with, right? Because it's what's going to drive that FP&A actually gets involved in this. Because I bet you the CFO, let alone the CEO, is not going to come down to the FP&A department and knock on the door if there is a door and say, hey, you know, FP&A guys and girls, uh, this strategy thing, can you help me solve it? That's not going to happen. So someone has to proactively go and say, okay, clearly we have a problem here. We're not creating the value that we want to as a company. Our strategy is not as successful as we want to. So something's got to change. In order to do that, I think FPNA is, is, you know, primarily located in the company to do it. But as a department, currently maybe lack the dynamism, you can call it, to actually go and get this done. So I think some transformation needs to happen within FPNA first before we are ready to go out and really take mm. uh, to take this steering wheel and this, this strategy conversation. Why I've been spending so much time this year writing about FP&A and what needs to transform because this needs to happen to boost FP&A to actually go and take this role. It's an excellent call out that you talk about in terms of how do we step forward or lean in to demonstrate the visibility of FP&A, I call it, to, and also to show the organization, the CEO and CFO, that first of all, we have the capability to do it. It. And then secondly, we are at the right place to actually help the entire strategy process. I mean, in the work that you've done in the last couple of months, is there any examples that you have in mind that the FBNA continue to work on it that will help them in terms of driving that dynamism or the transformation that you described? I think the, the good thing is that almost any FPNA department recognized that, that this needs to happen, right? I was talking to, uh, to some senior leaders in one company not, not so long ago, and I was talking about this, you know, the strategy process and how finance FPNA should, should throw themselves more at this. And they said, uh, yeah, you know, we, you know, our company just launched a new, a new strategy not, not that long ago. And I mean, we must admit that, you know, finance was just nowhere to be seen in that process. I think 
many finance functions, many FP&A departments can, can recognize that statement that okay. you feel like you should have been there. Maybe you were even there, but you didn't really play an active role. And it was a missed opportunity. That's really what I see. Just back to the example that you have. So the business leader that you spoke with, did they explain further why was finance, like the FP&A was not seen at all? Yeah, so, so one comment they made was that they were, they were lacking a senior leader to be more in, the, in that process. And of course, you know, as professionals, we typically work on certain levels. And let's say you work at a manager level and not a director level, and you work at director level, not a VP level. It, you know, it can, of course, be difficult to move between the chains, especially because because as a standard default, you might not be in the key meetings that you need to be in. So it's clear that, you know, it also starts at the top, right? So the CFO and the VP of FP&A, they need to do this as well. They can't just, you know, expect the whole department to do it if the senior leaders are not doing it as well. Definitely starts at the top, mm. but, but it shouldn't stop people at different layers in, in, in the FP&A department mm. to get moving on this, right? Because you can bring forward a plan to your VP and say, hey, why don't we do this? And the VP can bring the plan forward to the CFO and so on, you know, so get, get started, even though if it's, it's, it's from the bottom up. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point, regardless of which level that you are in the organization, um, within the FP&A organization, we all have a role to play to push it forward. So, so you're absolutely right. I think it's going to be an ongoing transformation from a mindset, from a behavior change. Um, but still, you know, we will need to continue to work on it. So I'm going to kind of bring it bring us back to the annual business planning process. Yes, so, yes. so assuming the, we have an FP&A organization has, has made that bold move, the first steps, and then they've got their visibility. So the business knows they're out there. So right now we're getting into the business planning process. So how can they be different and be the change agent? So I think everyone recognizes that, uh, you know, the world uh, changes uh, fast around us. And, you know, people keep saying that the speed is just increasing. Yet most companies still have some form of annual planning process, whether they then formalize it in a, in a, in a budget or a target or a bonus scheme, whatever it might be, you know, there's this annual number that sort of gets glorified into something that everyone should, should run towards. And then you might reforecast the three, four times, 10 times, whatever during the year, but it's still this, you know, original anchor that people are sort of looking at and say, okay, did we, did we hit or miss? That anchor is, is as a number at least, is completely irrelevant because you could be 7th of January and then it's, it's all useless, right? Just to give you one example from, from my role, we came into the year with, with a plan as, as everyone do and felt quite good about the plan and so forth. But then I think 13th of, of January, one of our competitors announces that they're just going to put in, uh, I think, for themselves, 15% more capacity in the market and the supply and demand balance would just be completely screwed up because of this. So uh, should we still be measured on the original plan or should we actually be measured on whatever new scenario that, 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 that we are now in? Clearly, I think, I think that we should be measured on the new situation. And of course, we can still look at, you know, how did this old number look like, but it's, it's irrelevant. It doesn't make sense anymore. So we gotta get into a lot uh, more dynamic process of course still look at where, where did we come from and where are we going because you know you need to know where you are on the hockey stick if you don't know where you are on the hockey stick then 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 you don't know where you're going because that was an interesting finding from mckinsey to say there are real hockey sticks out there and those that are in the top 20 percent of value creating companies they most of them had a hockey stick so you need to know where on the hockey stick are you if, and if you don't know then uh, then yeah you're probably not going to be among the top 20 
Yeah, it's a good observation around the annual budget and plan and how should business or individual be measured upon because that drives behavior as well. What I've seen is an ongoing struggle as in company or team set a, a budget or goal for the year. So then it's a question of how much flexibility you want to introduce to that. So as, as you described, I think it's going to be dynamic. It will be good for you know FPNA to continue to be part of the conversation and see how much latitude we're going to allow for that and that makes the most sense therefore helping the business to clearly identify where we are in terms of on that hockey stick itself. The McKinsey research also indicated in most of the strategy room that there isn't enough data, enough of, enough of the good data and the social dynamic, couple of the social dynamic as what you talked about earlier and human biases. And, and that kind of lead to risk of arriving at the wrong decision. So, you know, FPNA is generally fairly good at data and analysis. So how can we continue to drive those conversations towards talking about the real alternatives and select the, the winning initiative and here the communication, the influencing skills become a real test for all of us. So any tips for our audience? Yeah, so, so the main problem with this is that most often it's the inside view that dominates in the strategy room. So each business unit will come with, okay, here's our plan, it's so great because you know we've made some good investments and you know it's all gonna pan out in the next uh, one or two years. It's gonna be fantastic. But it completely negates what's going on around us what are the competitors doing? What are the trends in, in the world right now that we could maybe ride on? Completely negates the, the external view. But I think FPNA needs to bring in that external view and then they can say, okay, well, here comes a business unit that has a great plan, but three of the main competitors, they are, they are already doing it, have been doing it for two years. Why do you think this is going to work even better for us? And then, you know, so you, you, you got to bring in that outside in view into the strategy room. So that's, that's, that's really number one. Because once you get that outside in view, then you can start discussing real alternatives because strategy is about making choices. If you're not making choices, you don't have a strategy. So strategy is about making choices. And that's also why at the beginning of the year, I tried to define the purpose of APNA as the ability to drive the right strategic choices in the company. Because that's what it's about. You have to make choices about what to do with your strategy. So if you only have one plan, it's not a strategy, right? Could still be a good plan, but the odds of it being a good plan is just lower compared to if you actually have real alternatives. So you should bring, let's say, three alternatives or three options to the table that on their own merit could be a good plan because then you can start to choose. Of course, it might be that you end up combining some things, but, but you have choices. Then you can start to talk about strategy. If there's no alternatives you're not strategizing. Yep, you're absolutely right. But the, just the insight view that you talk about, I mean, human beings tend to be comfortable. So there's a bit of a complacency as well over time with an organization when it comes to strategy and choices as well. So, but definitely the outside in view, I think FPNA can definitely add value in that. Now the, you know, you talk about big shift instead of incremental changes. How do you see FPNA into the influencing that big move and allowing for optimum reallocation of the resources to the right initiative and choice. Yeah, so I think it's probably not up, not up to FPNA to come 
with a long list of big moves and bold suggestions that uh, these business units could take in their strategy. I think that's for the business units to come with those. But I think what FP&A can drive is really come with a plan to free up enough resources in the company to reallocate them to your strategic initiatives. Because if, if all you can free up every year is 5% to reinvest in something or invest in new initiatives, those initiatives are not going to succeed. So I think in the book, I mean, they say, well, you should at least have 20% of your resources every year that you can reallocate to whatever initiatives you believe are going to help your strategy succeed. Uh, so just try that you know, for yourself. Once you are done with the show here, whoever is listening, and just sit down and say, okay, if in our company, we were to find 20% or free up 20% of our resources, what would we have to do? Because I think that's a, that's a healthy exercise, right? Not five, not 10, 20, or challenge yourself to say even more. Because if we don't challenge ourselves to achieve something more drastic, I mean, then, then, then we're just doing incremental changes and the competitors are doing the same and our relative position remains the same our value creation remains the same, then we are not moving into the top 20%. Yeah, you know, after talking to you, I, I read the book as well. This is a point I find interesting and ponder upon in terms of how can the organization, including FPNA, to really be able to be bold enough to free out resources in this case is, you know, at least 20% get reallocated, looking at a big move, which sometimes takes a much longer time. So it may not fall into a, you know, a six months, you know, six months, you don't immediately get that return in terms of the, the traditional ROI kind of return. So from your perspective, can FPNA somehow channel the conversation in the strategy room and say, look, you know, we should look at ROI over the longer term. And this is a choice that's, that is going to benefit the organization over the long term. Yeah, so I mean, there's of course a huge risk involved in this, right? Because you could easily have a conversation that's going to end up like a massive train wreck because if PNA sits in their mm. own silo, they look at all these things and they, from a political point of view and, and from the plan, you know, all these eight uh, changes to make and all that, they, they do all the right things, but then they bring it into the room without having aligned, discussed with anyone else maybe they have done it with the CEO, that's fine, but it's not enough. And then, you know, everyone just sits there and say, what were you thinking? I mean, I can't do that. You're crazy. You know, this is never going to work. It's not going to mm. happen. What, what are you even doing here? You don't understand my business. I know they, they will come with all these things. Mm. So what to do instead? You, you got to do all the right things, but then you got to build relationships with, you know, all, you know, the, the business unit head or the, the, the functional heads, whatever, however your business is, is structured. And, and have those conversations with them outside the room so that you have those difficult conversations because some of it is going to be difficult. If you sit with the business unit that's just primed to go downhill, difficult to let go of the resources uh, to, to something else. So if that conversation hasn't been, been had up front, you're never going to succeed. So if PNA needs to build strong relationships with all decision makers in the company in order for this to work. And, and that, that's hard. Let's just, that's hard. So that's sort of, uh, you can say, outside these eight recommendations here, but goes to the more overall transformation of FPNA. You're absolutely right. That communication, aligning all the 
interests of or the stakeholders and make everybody see the common goals and objective. Yeah, it's definitely outside. I, I totally agree. It's, it's outside of the eight steps or the recommendation. But it's so crucial and critical um, to make all the eight steps work as well. Just kind of re, you know relating to what I'm seeing right now, some of the innovation opportunity as well. You know, sometimes innovation take a lot longer time in terms of immediate 12 months that you're seeing the return. But to be able to be a product innovation or a new kind of market innovation, um, those take a lot longer time. But then the question is, how do you influence all the stakeholders to see beyond that? Yeah, and that's why it's a hockey stick, right? So yeah. let's see, I mean, if any starting point you have, you probably need to invest in order to make this work. And when you invest, typically your, let's say your profit and loss will, will suffer in, let's just say the first year. So you will go down. So you have to be able to stomach that it will go down a bit before it goes up. The problem is, of course, that there are so many fake hockey sticks out there that how do you separate the real ones from the fake ones? And, and, and maybe, you know, that's, that's the hardest part in all of this, right? So, so that's why you have to look at, okay, are we actually moving on these 10 elements that will predict strategic success? Are we getting these eight, eight changes right? And so forth. So that there are, of course, leading indicators as to whether you're on a real hockey stick or on a fake hockey stick. And, you know, one other uh, term they introduce in, in the book is, is the cousin of the hockey stick, which is what they call the, uh, the hairy back. So, so you keep predicting that things will go up, but every year they, they go down. So it's sort of like, you know, it shows up like hairs on a, on a back if you actually plot in the, your, your budget and then your actual result, your budget, then your actual result. So it's sort of like a very, very ugly curve or trend that you're looking at. That kind of brings me to the question about the sandbagging behavior that was also mentioned in the book as well. You know, you have an article published around this, but what would be some of the challenges you see? for the FPNA professional to be independently challenged on such behavior and also to move the strategy conversation forward. Yeah, so, so the important bit about the sandbagging and, and, and I also added to that the accounting sleeves, right? Because finance also tends to go to hide a lot of things up our sleeves and, and pull it out whenever needed. And if not needed, then we'll probably put more things up the sleeves. So, so let's, yeah. just, let, let's not say it's only a business issue, it's definitely also a finance issue. Yes. But if you don't know your real performance, how can you make good decisions? If business leaders keep saying, yeah, you know, I'm going to perform at X, but they always perform at X plus 10%. Of course, it's great that they can all perform, but it, it, you know, it means that if you have known it's, it's going to be X plus 10%, you might have made different decisions. You might have pushed them even harder to deliver even more, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. However, you know, with this static one-year budget process that most companies have had at some point in their, in their history and many still have, there's culture that if I don't spend my budget, they're going to take it away next year. So I better, you know, put it a bit low and then, you know, make, make sure I can, actually, I can actually make it. If I don't beat my target, then I'm going to be demoted or my career is broken or ruined or whatever. So, you know, there's this inbuilt downside in the process which means that you never really forecast your true performance and then you make worse decisions because of that so sandbagging definitely needs to to stop but that also means we have to have a different performance conversations right so you have to ask yourself who performs best the one with the great result 
because the person was in a great industry or the one with the poor result because the person was in a poor industry, right? So you have to look at relative, relatively wise, do they do better than their competitors or, or not, right? So you have to have this outside in view on performance as well in order to uh, cut down these uh, sandbags, uh, right? But, but it's, a, it's a cultural change, a mindset change in the company overall, not just something that finance can, can do on their own, but they need to help drive that development. Yeah, you're absolutely right. This is an organization behavior and culture change as well, yes. to be honest about where the performances truly are. But I guess FPNA as part of the organization will need to be first be authentic and transparent because we are closer to the numbers and the real performance. So I guess that culture shift and the mindset shift um, definitely has to happen within FPNA. So, you know, we talk about performance just nicely, um, you know, that allows me to kind of transition into interesting questions in terms of how do we look at performance? We, we talk about, you know, performance, performance should not be just be based on the numbers, but it should be looked at holistically. So how do we then, you know, help shape or define that comprehensive holistic view of about performance? Yeah, so I think as long as you introduce relative measures to, to, to the process or outside in measures to, to the process, then you are sort of doing what you can. So compare versus competitors, what are your customers saying and so forth. Because if you only look at, okay, so what net profit did I forecast for, for the year? And, and that's gonna be my yardstick whether I'm doing, uh, doing, doing well or not then you will typically misjudge performance. I mean, going back to the example I mentioned in the beginning from my own work, how should we be judged now? Should we be judged on the original target or based on how the situation with this additional capacity that the market can really take in? And, and therefore, of course, the, you know, the prices that we can charge our products, they are pressure and so on and so forth. Which, which situation should we measure on? I mean, in the old days, you know, we would have probably just have stuck to the to the, to the budget and everyone would have performed poor and, and you know, nothing we could do for the year and morale would suffer and all these kind of things. But we have to look at what's happening in the market. What are our customers saying? How are we actually performing versus the circumstances that we are in? And yeah, of course, at the end of the day and in the long-term view, the company's got to make profit. So if you're in a bad market all the time and you always perform poorly, then you probably got to make some changes, change to a different industry, ride some different trends. You cannot judge, at least in the short term, performance just based on a static number that never, uh, never changes. Yep, well said. It cannot be static. It has to be relative and taking into the bigger context or the macro environment. I mean, I, I'm a big believer in this as well in terms of how performance needs to be looked at because I always also believe in some of the non-conventional measurement on performance these days for an organization, some of it will be around the impact an organization has made from social to environmental. That will be my take in terms of a holistic view on performance over the long run. So with that, just like anything in life, taking the first step is, is always the hardest, you know, especially the first few things that must really get done. And what are some of the early wins that the organization or the team can aim for and to be prepared for the worst as well. I guess we kind of touched a little bit on that earlier, but now is a question about how can FPNA push for that first step shift or change? 
um, which is a big ask, but I think we, once we are ready at the right place, uh, we, we are definitely at a good spot to actually do that. Yeah, I mean, so of course, there's, there's one thing about the whole planning process, right? That, you know, if you have a very, very long planning process and, and then, you know, you come out of that process and you're not at all prepared for actually starting to, to execute, then, then you, you're going to have an issue. We, we have to maybe get out of our own heads in the planning process and actually, you know, yeah, you know, th th these numbers are all good, but what does it actually take? to succeed with these numbers? What are the steps we need to take? So, so that has to be part of the planning process and not just five years out, but actually, okay, what happens in January? What happens in March and so forth, right? So did you actually start to, to prepare for that? Because, you know, in any change you want to make, you know, if you do a five-year strategy, three-year strategy, whatever it might be, there are so many steps along the way where this can, where this can go wrong. You know, if you don't have alignment in the strategy room, it will go wrong. If you don't have early wins, it could go wrong, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I think what FPNA needs to do is to set up some measures that would look at strategic performance, leading measures with some sort of thresholds to say, okay, well, if our customer satisfaction dips below this level, we have to take actions because then we are, our, the, the chance of strategic success will, will, will be lower. Or if our... Uh, uh, R&D pace goes below us. I mean, all sorts of different uh, thresholds depending on what, uh, what, what kind of business you're in. So that you can monitor continuously and say, well, in the first three months, these are some of the things that need to happen. And that would be measured based on these outcomes. Are we actually, are we actually doing that? Right? Because then you can sort of say, well, we probably have a plan. We have some actions we want to take, but we're not following up on, we're not following it along the way to say, is this working or not? And then maybe six months, 12 months down the line, when you do your, your first strategic review, you're like, wow, we didn't achieve anything. Now that was the last year, and now we need to try and, and recoup it next year. And that's what happens so often, right? That you, you fail very early in the process, mm. but you're not set up to detect it, and you detect it too late, and the year was lost, and the process goes on again uh, with, with just one less year to, to do it in. Yeah. Uh, so, so set up these this measures leading measures and thresholds to say, if you go beyond, above or below that, a new strategy conversation needs to take place because it's not working the way we thought it would, both good and bad. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That kind of reminds me of a saying about what gets measured gets managed properly. Um, so the leading measure that we set out to measure has to be set out in a way that's relevant and in the right context as well. Um, yeah. So allow for cross changes of, of action as well. Yep, excellent. Um, thank you so much, Anders, for sharing with us and a, and a wonderful in-depth conversation of what are some of the actions that we as an FPNA professional can all take to make the strategy room a place that, you know, lead to the right decision for the company and then the 80-20 rules that we talk about as well, the 20 most successful company. So a couple of the parting thoughts. How can our audience get hold of the book? Or any other resources that, that our audience can get hold of if they wanted to find out more about the book? Yeah, so I think the, the book should probably be available on Amazon, right? I don't know. Uh, yes, it, <laughs> I got that it's, from Amazon it's, as well. It's not my, yeah, it's, it's not my book. Uh, I don't get any uh, benefits from, uh, from talking about this book. I just thought that the, the points were very interesting and also for, for PNA. So I just built something off of that. But it, it is also a great book, but it should be pretty pretty widely available. So that, that should be, be the issue. In terms of other, other resources, I mean, a lot of things are happening in the FPNA space these days. I mean, you can even be a, 
be a certified FPNA practitioner these days, you can go to fpnatrends.com. You can go to Association of Finance Professionals in, in, in the U.S. They also have a specific FPNA conference once a, once a year in the U.S. There are lots of roundtables going on all the time. So try and seek out some of these resources and get involved with other FPNA professionals to discuss how, uh, how are you doing in this transformation and, and, and what does it take to, to continue? Because a lot of conversations right now, you know, they're around analytics and better planning or integrated business planning, all these uh, acronyms that, you know, no one really understands what they mean anyway. But there are real conversations to be had out there uh, if, you, if you just seek them out. And then, uh, you know, just to promote some of my own things, uh, I'm, I'm also publishing an article a week on, on FPNA and business partnering, uh, which <clears throat> I would definitely recommend people to go and uh, subscribe to. It's on LinkedIn. It's a newsletter. You can subscribe to it and get notified whenever new articles uh, come out. Yeah, for sure. I definitely enjoy reading your article. Uh, it's very easy to understand. And especially for people that, you know, are still trying to figure out uh, in terms of their, their career from, a, you know, whether it's FP&A or accounting kind of roles. So now, any other advice, you know, that our audience can look forward to in the next six to 12 months? I know you're going to continue to publish different articles for all of us. Any other more specific kind of advice that, um, that you suggest for audience, especially the FP&A professional, to kind of lean in for some of the strategy planning and conversation? If I were you, I would take these eight recommendations that, remember, it's not, you know, it's not my recommendations. They're coming from the book. I'm just giving an FP&A spin to them. So take these eight recommendations and sit down and, and, and brainstorm, maybe one brainstorm session for each recommendation and say, what would it take for us in our FPNA department to become proactive about making some changes so that we can be more involved in the strategy conversation and also, of course, following up on the strategy. Are we actually succeeding? That should be a very tangible first next step. To, to actually increase the chances of strategic success in your company and increase the chances of your company being able to move into these, uh, these top 20%. That's definitely good advice. So I'm sure a lot of our audience wanted to continue the conversation with you around, you know, how can FP&A be more involved in the strategy process? So uh, what will be the best way for them to reach out to you? Just reach out on LinkedIn. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm always there. So that's, that, that's where I do all the do all my work. That's where my blog is. That's where my content is. And, and it's uh, typically free and readily available for anyone. So just reach out there. All right. Thank you so much, Anders. It's always a pleasure talking to you and lots of insightful suggestions and tips for our audience. So thank you. Welcome. welcome. So there you have it. Hope you enjoyed the show today. If you'd like to know more of our guest mentor today, their bio and resources, you can find all that at sitnshow.com. You will also get access to early show, blog, also for subscription to our newsletter for activities and resources that are going to help you continue to build your strength and capabilities along the journey of finance and accounting. And just before you go, we really appreciate your feedback and suggestion. Or if there's a guest mentor that you'd like to hear on the show, drop me a message on LinkedIn. I would love to connect and hear from you. Let us keep building our strength in the numbers while growing a finance community that contributes positively to the society.